The Gospel of the Lord according to St. Mark in the 8th chapter. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The Gospel lesson today from Mark reminds me of the story I once heard about this church-going couple. So it was Lent, and this wife had decided with her husband, you know, being good Christians as they were, they decided together that her Lent practice would be to abstain from buying any new clothes. She had quite the shopping habits. Um, And one day, one beautiful March afternoon, she was out window shopping, and she saw this dress in the window, and she decided to try it on. Um, She liked it so much that she bought it in secret. A couple of days later, the husband discovered it, and rightfully so, he was very upset. Um, She explained to him that when she had tried it on, it looked so good that Satan had tempted her to buy it, and she just couldn't resist. The husband said, well, why didn't you do what the scriptures command us to do and say, get behind me, Satan? And she said, I did, and he told me it looked even better from back here. (laughs) So, anyway, we're in Lent, um, and people always ask, what are you giving up? What are we we sacrificing? So what, what is that? We just had a children's sermon give us a pretty good explanation, but here are a, f- a, couple, um, a couple of suggestions of how we can maybe frame it up differently. So when Peter says, get behind me, Satan, maybe he's saying something like, shut up, Peter. Get, get those thoughts away from me. Stop blocking me. Stop being adverse. Stop rebuking me you adversary. See, okay, so Jesus has just revealed the plan to the disciples, and on the surface it seems pretty grim. Lots of suffering, lots of pain, betrayal, um, and Peter starts to argue. He doesn't want to accept what Jesus has just told all of them. But Peter, don't be adverse to God's will. 
try and merge with with Jesus, with us, with the disciples. So next slide, please. So the suggestion is this. If you want, we can reframe Lent as like a, a, a spiritual training session, like a, um, a class we're going to or an education that we're going to receive. Less about sin, less about giving up, and more about training, cleansing, preparing. Like how's the fast going? Um, fast seems to have some sort of spiritual growth with it, uh, associated with it. How's the merging going? How are you going to merge? Over here we see an athlete training. We see people in, in a class receiving instructions. Next slide, please. All right. So the important question might be this. What things in your life are blocking you, blocking your way, potentially adverse to your momentum and your path? Um, blocking and adversity to your spiritual development and your training, blocking your merging, blocking you from more fully engaging and participating in the divine, blocking the sun, the, the sun. Um, next slide. So, the, all of the readings today, um, I was trying to classify them under one one heading, right? And what came to mind for me was kingdom come. In Genesis, we're talking about Sarah Abraham multiplying. Kings of people shall be of her, we, we hear. In the responsive reading, we hear all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. In Romans, we get, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. And now in Mark, we're putting Satan behind us. We're getting him out of the way of blocking. All of these verses maybe can be considered as pointing towards kingdom come, pointing towards atonement, atonement being at one meant, at one meant, atonement, a state of being at one, merging with the creator. And the goal of merging seems especially intense in Lent and Easter, or maybe it should seem especially intense. A few more thoughts. Next slide. Okay, so one of my favorite pop philosophers, this is a book by one of my favorite pop philosophers. It's from the, maybe even the 50s. This guy named Alan Watts. Um, and he says that, quote, Lent is, quote, a period of spiritual training and instruction which preceded initiation into the Christian mysteries by the sacrament of baptism. So he's talking about like ancient Christianity, like the first couple hundred years after Christ died. Uh, in times before infant baptism and in times before Christianity was the popular religion in the different areas of the world. So initiation into Christianity was a big deal. Um, lots of tests, lots of disciplines. Uh, it was very prestigious. It was also very spooky. We had like exorcisms that you had to undergo, make sure you were cleansed of all the demons, right? All this stuff. Uh, and initiation into the Christian mysteries, into the church or baptism, um, always took place the night before Easter. So Lent is 40 days leading up to Easter. The night before Easter, we baptize the new initiates, um, and they're born into the church the next morning, God, their God is reborn into eternal life that we replay every year. 
So these initiations, the Christian mysteries, they were called, um, lots of people thought they were like basically very similar to the uh, mystery cults that the Romans practiced for thousands of years. Um, the Eleusinian mysteries, if you want to do some extra credit homework, go check out the mystery cults of Greece, which were thought to be copies of the mystery cults of Egypt. So this ceremony of Easter, the ceremony of rebirth, the earth coming back to life cyclically, is very, very ancient, like maybe all the way back to the very beginning of writing, like Egyptian hieroglyphs before Moses and before the Hebrew alphabet. So that's why maybe Jesus says that he came to to refill, to fulfill the scriptures, because civilizations had been talking about the earth being reborn for as long as anybody could recount. So in the early days of Christianity, the period leading up to initiation, leading up to Easter, the 40 days, uh, leading up to baptism, leading up to Easter, is a time of training and of cleansing and of purifying the new initiates. Because being baptized meant and still means that you were born anew into the eternal family of God. There's a union that takes place, a merging. Your life becomes his, his life becomes yours. The fifth chapter of Second Corinthians, Paul writes, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So, to teach this to those to be initiated into the mysteries, into the church, to help their and our merging, we have dramatic reenactments that happen through the church year. That's what liturgical readings are, is we reenact Jesus' life. But especially in Easter, um, and maybe especially for the new initiates, we reenact the death and the rebirth, the conquering of death. Um, with palms, we reenact the celebration of Jesus entering the temple for that Passover, which he was to be humanity's sacrificial lamb. And eventually we go to trial with him, we die with him, and simultaneously conquer death with him, as he had to there burden all of our future sins there at that atonement. It's a pretty good deal. Next slide, please. All right, so before back in the day, ancient church, before the newbies were initiated into the Christian mystery cult, <clears throat> they didn't get to stay for the whole service. It was, the service went on and then up to, they got to hear the gospel reading. And then after the gospel, we would escort the uninitiated out of the temple. Bob Brizel, I guess Bob Brizel did that in the first service. He's responsible for escorting the uninitiates out. Um, the, the noobs wouldn't get to hear the secret teachings that are happening right now and wouldn't get to take part in Holy Communion. Um, they first had to be initiated into the communion of saints, the celestial or heavenly hierarchy of the Christian mysteries. And I think that's what Pastor was talking about last week for the Transfiguration, the troubled teen, troubled youth eating, eating with her grandmother. More, Grandma, tell me more about the stories from the family. She kept saying as her grandmother told her how special she was, describing her, her place in the family hierarchy. Similarly, we have an incredibly special place in God's 
celestial hierarchy, the heavenly hierarchy, the communion of saints. Next slide, please. Other hierarchies. As pastor suggested, maybe this has something to do with what happened in Florida, right? Um, this, this academic guy I like to read, Marshall McLuhan, says, violence is essentially the form, is the quest for identity. So whether it be a mass shooting or whether it be, you know, the tiny aggressions that we take on behalf of our ego in everyday conversations, those are, those are quests for identity, our ego asserting itself and pushing itself against the world. But we'll come back to the ego. Next slide. So, when Jesus took Peter and James and John up the mountain for what came to be known as the Transfiguration, it seems a hierarchy was revealed. They saw Jesus among Moses and Elijah, and God says, listen to him, listen to, listen to Jesus. Because if we, were listen, if we were to listen to Moses, he's the guy on the right holding the tablets. I mean, we can take Moses' word, right? Because when he speaks, it's basically as good as law as he's holding the tablets. If we let Elijah speak, then that's awesome because he's talking about the Messiah to come. So listen up. But no, God says, listen to Jesus. Listen to him. Consider that hierarchy. And we know that uh, this painting was done by Raphael. Because <laughs> he's... Next slide, please. All right, so... That's one way to look at Easter. It's a time to initiate and renew our initiations and celebrate our initiations into the celestial hierarchy of the Christian mysteries. As Pastor Solberg likes to remind us, we are saints. We're saints that sin, but we're saints. Um, through our relation to the Son of God, we get to be saints. And Lent can be considered a time to remove the things that are blocking out the light of the sun. Shady things. Remove things that block our relation and that block our merging with the sun in preparation for holy initiations and celebrations at Easter. So we remove barriers. We merge. We merge with the sun. We become one. Becoming one, this is a pretty big idea. Like maybe one of the central mysteries, merging to become one at one or atonement. We live through Christ and Christ lives through us. That's how we get a seat at the communion of saints, the heavenly hierarchy at one Next slide. And just a couple other small points that I think are fun to keep in mind. Symbol of the egg, new life. We're about to be reborn and celebrate our rebirth into the hierarchy. Uh, Lent is, comes from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning spring. And isn't it, isn't it a wonderful coincidence that the earth, spring is coming, the earth is coming back to life at the same time Jesus does? And the date of Easter is determined by the relation of the sun and the earth. Uh, so like the sun, the sun and the earth are tied together. Um, anyway, that's the first part of the homily. Now we're going to have an intermission. <laughs>
Next time I'll learn the whole song. <laughs> so, part two. We talked about Lent and about training for initiation for the new initiates and training for atonement at one which happens symbolically at initiation and grows from there. But back to the gospel reading. We're talking about blocking and things that block out the sun and how Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus calls his friend a name. So what is in a name? When Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, what's going on here? Jesus is calling people names, seemingly bad names, like one of the worst names, maybe. So what does it mean for an ancient Jew to call one of his buddies Satan? What does it mean for Jesus to call his buddy Satan? What does it mean for a Jew before Jesus to call his buddy Satan? What does it mean if Moses were to call his buddy Satan? Or someone, a Jew before Moses? Were there Jews before? I think there were Jews before Moses. The book of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. I mean, if you meditate on that for a while, you find out that words are very mysterious and have power. So what is, it, what is name calling to, in the beginning, to people wandering around in the desert, people before Moses? People before Moses delivers the Hebrew alphabet to us in the form of the Ten Commandments. Before words were made of letters, when they were mysterious sounds, what did name calling mean to those people? And what did it mean to call your buddy Satan? Next slide, please. All right. So today, lots of people associate the word and sound with an image of a man with a goatee, maybe red tail, horns, pitchfork. But let's consider other potentials. And I took out most of this, uh, most of this, but a little extra credit. Last week in the Transfiguration, we talked back about Moses came down from Mount Sinai and his face was bright and shining. Another Ninja Turtle did some art according to that, and he actually put horns on Moses, uh, which is crazy. Also, we talk about uh, there's references to Lucifer in the Bible. Lucifer, the word means a light bringer, but also they talk about Jesus bringing light as well. So a bunch of weird names and associations going on. But next slide, please. The history of the ancient word, Satan, isn't necessarily a man with a pitchfork, though. It's actually pretty different. Um, it maybe originally means like an obstruction, something blocking your way. Then uh, maybe the evolution came more to mean something that is adverse to you. And then further evolution, it became someone who's accusing you. Eventually, it became a character, and finally, we get the Antichrist. <clears throat> Similarly, the word devil has roots in ancient Greek, diablos, uh, literally meaning one who throws something across your path, who puts something in your way. So, get behind me, Satan, as in, this is in my way. This is blocking me. This is blocking the sunlight. Most importantly, this is just blocking my way. Get this out of my way. Next slide, please. So if we talk about um, the books of the Bible, like if Genesis was actually the first 
knowledge we had, and then Exodus is the second knowledge, if they're laid out chronologically like that, the first reference we actually get to character of the Satan comes in the 22nd book of Numbers when there was an ass that wouldn't move, as in like livestock that was stopped in the middle of the road. Um, 22nd book of Numbers talks about the skies trying to get to the next town. God doesn't really want Balaam trying to get to the next town. He, God doesn't want him to go, so God sends an obstruction. He sends an angel of the Lord. Only the donkey can see it, and the donkey won't pass. And so Balaam's like, what's going on? It says, the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his Satan or his adversary or his obstructor. So that is our first uh, reference in the Hebrew literature to Satan. Next slide, please. Um, through the Gospels, though, lots going on this slide. Uh, this is a wonderful book if you want to check it out. I have uh, a couple um, references to this scholar in this talk. But hundreds of years later, maybe thousands of years later, after the reference of the book of Numbers uh, stopping the donkey in the road, we have the Gospels. And, of course, it paints an entirely different picture of Satan in the Gospels. Um, he appears many times. But lots of scholars will point out, Elaine Pagels especially, that the Gospels were written in time of war. So they do contain, just uh, necessarily contain some political propaganda in there. Um, the Jews had finally revolted against the Roman occupation in Jerusalem, roughly 66 AD. Our first Gospel is the Gospel of Mark. That was the first one that was authored roughly the same year, 66 AD, as the Jewish revolt in Jerusalem. Um, and that revolt took place roughly 30 years after the crucifixion. And so the fire that Rome was afraid that Jesus would ignite finally caught fire 30 years later when they revolted. Um, and in that 30 years, you know, lots, lots of brewing, lots of betrayals, lots of finger pointings about the crucifixion, lots of Romans versus Jews versus Jewish Romans, versus Roman Jews, etc. Uh, lots of um, political backstabbing happening, happening at that time. Interesting to note, too, that uh, right before the birth of Jesus, roughly 4 BC, we have record that in Galilee alone, the Romans crucified over 2,000 Jews in that one year on charges of sedition, uh, inciting a riot, trying to rise up against the government, against the Roman occupation. Um, crucified 2,000 people in that one year. They would leave the corpses on the crosses around town. They had them kind of all in one area where you could just see hundreds of people that had been crucified for trying to rise up against the government. Um, and this was just a, a reminder, hey, if you want to rise up against the government, this is what we do to people. So, how much of the Gospels, how much political betrayal happens in the Gospels? Quite a bit, Judas being the prime example. Next slide. However, Elaine Pagels presents the, the social history of Satan as largely an, a, a problem of us versus them. Uh, invoking this word, this term, as a technique for dehumanizing opponents and adversaries. Um, she points out that in ancient Egyptian, 
the Egyptian word for Egyptian is human. So if you're not an Egyptian, you're not human. Um, similarly, the word our word barbarian comes from ancient Greek, um, and it's it's what they used to refer to their neighbors that couldn't read and didn't uh, didn't have the alphabet. That's how they talked. That's how they sounded when they talked. Ba 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 ba. They were idiots. They they were barbarians. You were either Greek or you were barbarian. So a lot of us versus them, in group versus out group. Next slide, please. This past Wednesday, uh, the reading included Barabbas, who committed murder during the insurrection, during the riot. Um, And just to remind you, it's a riot, right? Um, We're in Jerusalem. It's Passover. Everybody, uh, all of the pilgrims have come to gather in this one town for Passover. It's their celebration. Um, This would be like... um, and the temple is brand new. It's just been rebuilt in the past 20, 30 years by Herod. Everybody's in town for the celebration. Like imagine the chaos if a riot broke out at the Super Bowl an hour before the game. You know, like mass hysteria. So, yeah, Jesus is in big trouble. Um, but still, at the ground of the insurrection and the riot is a feeling of us versus them. By definition, riots happen because of them. Next slide. Oh, other way. There we go. So, this guy, Ernest Becker, was Sigmund Freud, father of psychoanalytics, top student, Ernest Becker. And Ernest Becker tells us that his theory was that when we're in these modes of us versus them thinking, it probably has some trace back to us being afraid of our death. He says we take... Death anxiety, everybody has death anxiety. We don't know what's going to happen after we die. We take death anxiety, we bottle it in, we suppress it, and what happens is it ends up spilling over. We can't control it. It ends up spilling over into our relationships, and we project our fears and anxieties into our surroundings. So I hope that makes sense. A significant source, if not all of division, conflict, competitiveness, that we feel with others has might have something to do with us being afraid of death. Um, but at the start of Lent, we're reminded we came from ashes. We're headed back there. We're, there aren't two groups of us. There's only one group. Uh, we're kind of all the same, if you want to consider it that way. Um, incidentally, this is a joke. Incidentally... <laughs> There are two kinds of people in the world. Uh Uh, Those who divide the world into two kinds of people and those that don't. (laughs) Next slide, please. And we're not sure who discovered water, but we're pretty sure that it wasn't a fish. Um, So there's this other story of this guy I knew one time, and he was having trouble making it out of the door for the day, you know, to go go to work, et cetera, meet the world for the day. Things were just taking longer than expected. He was risking making it to his next appointment on time. Um, after he had taken more time than usual, eating breakfast, taking a shower, you know, it's just one of those days, right? Um, he His keys, finally, he can't find his keys anywhere. He checks all through the apartment, 
through the couches, the various counters, dressers, nightstands, maybe left him in the bathroom. Then, after another five minutes had burned off his morning, he's going to be late, I finally find my keys in my back pocket, where I always keep them. And I'm sure nothing like that has ever happened to any of you all. There's this other story of a Sufi, ancient story, a Sufi philosopher that comes riding through town after a long day. The sun's about to go down, long afternoon. He's yelling out, he's going hysterical, he's riding as fast as his beat-up old donkey can can make it down the road. People are running out to meet him. Nasruddin, Nasruddin. They rush out to meet him in the streets, their beloved philosopher. He's so excited. Nasruddin, Nasruddin, what is it? Why? What are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my donkey. And he was sitting on his donkey. Um, so, next slide. The suggestion is that, get behind me, Satan. Satan may be is not as much of a red guy with a pitchfork as maybe we can reframe him, transform him, transfigure him into barriers, you know, obstructions, um, obstructions that are betraying us. We're sitting on top of our donkey. Um, we're being betrayed, and if we were to be enlightened, the world would be anew. We knock down the shade or turn down the noise. Next slide, please. So, barrier. This is us. That's atonement up there. We have a barrier to atonement, and Lint is going to help us get it out of the way there. Next slide. So, through his letter to the Galatians, we learn. Uh, Paul tells us that Jesus recreates your world and. It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ. It is you, but it's not you. It's some, some weird hybrid energy. And sometimes, uh, at least from personal experience, I, you, I have that feeling it's more apparent sometimes than others. And it's like, it's awesome when you feel in tune and you know, you're connected. Um, but it doesn't stay. It always, always leaves. It comes and goes. Uh, but what is it that blocks us from experiencing that all the time? You know, sometimes you feel more in tune than others. What is it that blocks us from being fully engaged, fully at one in the atonement, seeing the light and feeling it in our lives at all times? Intimate things are blocking. Um, in, on an intimate level, they're noisy, they're obstructing, they're casting shade. Ernest Becker points out that the struggle between light and dark happens inside of us, not outside of us. Uh, we repress it and then it spills out. It all happens inside of us. Um, and that, in many ways, that is happening inside of us is more scary than if it was outside, right? The enemy is, has penetrated the, penetrated the gates, right? In some very real ways, we are the enemy. We all have our demons to, to deal with, right? Uh, but on a positive note, Luke tells us in the book of Luke, we learn that the kingdom of heaven is also within you. But refocus. Get behind me, Satan. Peter was trying to talk Jesus out of it. Jesus tells him all the bad stuff that's about to happen. Peter started to rebuke. Jesus rebukes him back and says, get behind me, Satan. 
He doesn't even want to let Peter start. Don't plant that seed of fear in me, Peter. You heard the plan. Have faith. Get behind me. You're blocking the light and you're challenging the plan that God has just let me share with you. So it seems that maybe right after this, after get behind me, Satan, Jesus took Peter and James and John up the mountain, uh, Mount Hermon maybe in Galilee, and the transfiguration happened. So Lent can be about lightening up. It's the, the, the vision light, get the things out of the way that are blocking the light, but also burdens. When we carry around all the death anxieties inside of us, that's, that's heavy. It takes a lot of energy, like Ernest Becker taught us. <clears throat> so our death anxieties are these pretty packages that we call egos. You see the guy with the shadow down there. Um, and in Wednesday, we also learned that you can't make it into the kingdom of heaven unless you're like a little child, right? That doesn't mean what it looks like on the surface, but children don't have these big heavy egos to carry around and to project out into the world. And the innocent, that's what innocence is, and it's beautiful, right? Who we forgive, who we don't forgive, that is ego. So it may be that our egos are blocking light as much as anything external. And what's more intimate than your ego, right? It's an intimate... This idea of Satan being not a person, but intimate barriers to us merging. So, in Lent, we focus on light. Light bulbs and burdens. So, last slide. Oh, actually, there's one more after this. Uh, this was... one back one. Okay, yeah. Is pastors going with this theme of listen to me, listen to me. Well... The world and your ego is this person in the middle shout is super quiet, and to listen to God we have to we have to really dial it in so that we know uh, what frequency is coming from. Okay, last slide, recap. Thanks for sticking through it, guys. So first, we have a couple. We reframed a couple things. We reframed Lent and Satan. Um, to focus on the positive. So Lent is a time of training for the new initiates. That happens Easter. We're clearing away things that block the sun, S-U-N-S-O-N. We're turning the noise out, tuning the noise out so we can listen, all culminating in emerging, a uniting, an atonement that happens when Jesus gets crucified and when he rises from the dead with us. We do that with him. And secondly, Satan, we framed as barriers. They're all the hundred small bustling things in the world that move our attention off the sun. All the hundred million things in the world that are betraying us, that keep us from merging and from feeling the at-one-ment.